Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Rob Fortress Fortney, former editor at Muscle Mag, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, strength coach. I run Strength Guild, LifterHope.org. I also do Highland Games. So, oh, hey, hey, I have a one hey. little bit of news from Twitter uh, this week, and I had mentioned it online once or twice, but I'm not sure I said anything on the show here. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, Stu Phillips, who's a very famous researcher now from uh, the Toronto area, uh, we've had a couple of guys like Nick Bird, Dr. Bird, sort of mm-hmm. trained through that system, but the Canadians up there are very hardcore with the uh, exercise science, um, exercise phys, sports nutrition research kind of thing. Um, but he tweeted that there is research being done in his lab right now that won't be published for a while. So it's sort of a sneak peek that 30 grams of protein is enough to stop lipolysis. In other words, it will raise your insulin levels enough to shut down, um, you know, fat mobilization and fat burning. Well, a lot of people were like, oh, my goodness, you know, that's kind of shocking. Uh, protein's going to stop my fat loss. But to me, I, that's not surprising a, at all, right? I mean, when you eat, you go into storage mode. And yeah. this sort of goes back to our our ongoing message of simplicity maybe. But uh, it is neat. Don't get me wrong. It's very neat to see the mechanism getting documented. Um, but I had written an article a couple of years ago for uh, the T Nation website. And I literally got on a metabolic cart. I sipped some protein before my morning cardio but I made sure to keep it just to like, you know, five or 10 grams of protein. And I would do it during the treadmill work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did that while I got ready for this, the last competition that I had done in, in uh, 2011. But it really did not interfere with fat burning at all. I mean, mm-hmm. you could see the data. I actually put the data in, even if it was a lay article, I put the data in there. Um, so five or 10 grams for the record, people, you can get away with if you do it once exercise has begun. You know, because once <clears throat> adrenaline starts flowing and you get in exercise mode, you can actually sip some protein throughout. Because I was just worried about losing muscle mass. You know, I'm not a heavily built person, so it's just trying to spare what I had. But this new stuff from um, Phillips Group, um, it's it's pretty clear that 30 grams is enough to stop uh, fat burning. So... I don't know. I actually am kind of surprised with that news, to be honest with you. I mean, in my limited knowledge of this kind of thing, I don't know. I I wouldn't have thought that, but whatever. Well, some amino acids are especially insulinogenic. You know, they tickle your pancreas to the point that insulin, it's a storage hormone. You know, it's a building and storage hormone. I think a lot of dietitians that I've worked with, when they first start to understand some of the basics of endocrinology, they th- they think of insulin like a blood sugar hormone. You know, insulin l- pushes blood sugar into your tissues. And although that's true, it's also very much a storage hormone, and it'll put the brakes on fat mobilization or fat burning. And I think people just need to realize, as you go out th- throughout the course of a day, that's always the challenge, I think, for a... Uh, physique athletes and i imagine powerlifters too is you know when you don't eat you go into this natural usage of your body's stores you know like your body fat and then when you eat you stop doing that and you go with what your body relies on what you just ate Mm -hmm. um so anyway i think what's the i think the take home from all that is that you can get away with five or ten grams of protein if you do it during exercise because that changes the picture like i said once adrenaline starts flowing and you know, the nerves that reach into your pancreas start getting activated. You don't really dump insulin very much. So a little bit of protein in the middle of a workout, probably not going to interfere with fat loss. But 30 grams, that's a pretty good solid dose of protein in a rested state. That's enough to uh, reduce it in, in any case. So, 
I got one thing. I want to give a uh, just uh, pimp this little weekend thing I got coming up. Um, I got Donnie Thompson coming here in June. Um, and then, so his is a one day thing. And then I opened up five spots for Friday, Saturday, Sunday for Iron Radio listeners to come in, kind of like we did last year. And there's only two spots left. So if you're interested in that, go to my site, which is strengthguild.com, and go to events. And I think it's meets and events. <clears throat> and you'll see it under there's Donnie Thompson Mobility Recovery Seminar and Iron Radio Weekend Package. So there's two more spots left. Come and have fun. So learn some stuff. I think it's awesome that you got Donnie. He's physically, is he flying out there? Yeah, yeah, he's coming out here. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It'll be a fun time. That's very cool. Hey, you guys, I was actually thinking about what I would consider world-class people like Donnie or when we had um, Eddie on the show. I was actually sort of boasting on that. I, I'm teaching a strength conditioning class. And, Phil, when I ask you to guest lecture occasionally, that's for a, a senior seminar. That's a different thing, but... Okay. Um, it'd be good to have you guys come. I remember, Rob, do you remember ages ago when I taught at Kent, um, you came and spoke to some of my sports nutrition students at the front of the room. I don't even know if you remember that. But it's good to expose them, I think, to um, current practices in a way. You know, I don't want them to have too sanitized of a look. All right. Well, everybody, we're having some Internet connection problems with the great white north but we got fortress on the phone so we're going to go to break quickly and we're going to come back and we're just going to get to the topic of the day which is changing your game Uh, what does it take for a person especially someone like phil or rob who have been around the block what does it take for you to change your game plan when it comes to nutrition or training or any of these sorts of things so we'll be back in just a minute Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press and protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180 day rentals and one year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So, Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we are back. Um, We're on the phone with Fortress because Canadian Skype is failing us, alas. I got attacked by Grizzly Bear. Grizzly Bear? (laughs) See, I thought it was those Canadian ninjas came and shut down everything. That's okay. That's okay. uh, 
that that very bear is now uh, spit roasting. Nice, dangerous up there. Okay, so today's topic is changing your game, or if you want to say this like an academic, you might say evidence-based practice. So I have a couple of questions for you guys as far as, first of all, have you ever changed your training or nutrition? Can you think back to a time? Uh, Rob, let's start with you since you're uh, through the phone here, but... Have you ever changed your training, your your nutrition dramatically? Let's just start with that. Well, I mean, the most obvious one for the training portion of that question would be my kind of like fundamental switch from more bodybuilding-centric type training to powerlifting training. Um, and, and by that, I mean, in a large part of the way, I mean the way, you know, even the way, very way you think of, I thought about training you know, um, going from the whole idea of body um, body part type training to uh, movement type training. Um, and I would say that dietary-wise, I would say that uh, the biggest change I, I made would, would have come years and years ago where I finally figured out the whole difference between, um, not the difference, but the, the idea that Certainly, when you're when you're drug free, that you really can't be too clean with your diet. Mm-hmm. Um, I only really started making gains. I've said this many times. I've only really started putting on size and strength when I actually loosened up the reins as far as my diet and what I was willing to eat, and not willing to eat. Because um, there was a period of time, you know, during my first several years of training, where I was very, very specific in as far as making sure I was only eating very, very, very clean foods constantly and that wasn't yielding much in the way of results until okay. I opened it up and started, you know, giving into it. And when I say that, um, like I've said many times, it doesn't mean like sitting around just eating junk food all day, but certainly eating, you know, a lot of pizza and hamburgers and all that type of thing. So my question is, why? I mean, what amount of evidence, what preponderance of information, new information did it take for you to make that change? Um, I, I suppose just just the um, when I started looking at you know, caloric needs, um, caloric expenditures, you know, the, and the amount of effort that I was putting into uh, – you know, my sessions, which include as, as mo- mostly as a bodybuilder, you know, heavy compound movements and squats and probably how many calories I was burning at that point. And, you know, and, and I, and I think a lot of what you have taught me over the years, you know, the whole idea that, you know, it's not just cal, you know, you have to consider not only the calories that you're using just for your day to day, um, activities outside of the gym, but then recuperative, um, you know, the calories on top of that to recuperate from what you're doing and calories on top of that to fuel what you're doing in the gym. Yeah. Especially so when I you're as big as you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so I started looking, thinking about, um, when you put those factors together, I started looking at kind of, you know, what I was actually in, you know, getting from a can of tuna. You know, and things Good, like that, yeah. mm-hmm. and realize that even if I ate like you know twelve times a day, I still wasn't getting enough calories, probably just to maintain day to day living. For you know, um, never mind you know doing like you know twenty or thirty thousand pounds total of like you know poundages for um, squat workouts and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. now uh, let me regress for a minute before I get to Phil. Part of the impetus for this is the explosive growth of articles on the internet that very much to me, they look like opinion presented as fact. And that's why I thought it would be good to sort of delve into this. If you get a couple of, um, you know, guys that have been around the block and let's face it, I mean, you don't want to be so stubborn. You never change in the face of new evidence, right? I mean, rational people will change their conclusions. I think Phil and I have talked about that before a little bit. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the Internet where it's certainly to me, it doesn't look like there's enough evidence presented. Uh, there's a lot of macho talk and a lot of opinion. Um, 
So that's why I wanted to delve they, into this. What you they know, call what, what they call bro science, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what's real evidence? I just wanted to give maybe some of the newer listeners a chance to think about that, or even guys that are more experienced look back at their own lives and be like, yeah, I changed at this point or this point, but here's what it took. So what about you, Phil? Training or nutrition? I know you've gone through some sweeping changes as well. Yeah. Um, geez, the nutrition side, I think it, it's much like what Rob said. You know, I went from a period where I was micromanaging everything to uh, a point where I loosened up, and, and it was at that point that I actually started getting stronger and, and larger. Um, and I think, you know, I, the, the problem I had was on the Internet, like you were talking about, you see you get these articles presented as fact by so-called experts who, who claim, you know, 100 percent eating clean, this and that and this and that. And then but when you when I then was lucky enough to delve into the real world and be around people who truly were strong and large, they weren't doing that. <laughs> you know? yeah, so, so observation, the observation yeah, practical didn't match. to me. It was it was practical observation. It was like, okay, yeah, that sounds sexy. Um, you know, eating a sweet potato and chicken breast and staying lean year round. But then when you got into the real world and looked at what real people were doing, um, the the truly strong and big people weren't doing that. Um, and and that that in itself led me to okay, I'll open up because I I was a firm believer in that you know what what I read. Um, and I guess it did keep me. I stayed lean and I stayed fairly strong but i you know i wasn't anywhere near where i wanted to be um size wise or you know anything so i actually got leaner when i when i added in uh some other stuff okay so (coughs) So. how many years or how many experts did you have to observe i'm guessing you didn't make this change after meeting just one impressive no way too many it probably took it, it took several years um to do that because even during my uh, I drove Calvin Neff, who was my my coach over in Thailand uh, and training partner. Um, I drove him nuts. From you know, I'd we'd we'd finish training and I'd go eat like brown rice and chicken, right, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and I drove him nuts. It's like, dude, you just need to eat and get bigger and stronger. Um, it wasn't until well after that, a couple years after that, that I uh, that I just said, screw it, I'm going to eat, and I'm going to get strong, <clears throat> you know, and see what happens. You know, worst case scenario, I, and I think part of that was my realization of. Because I was formerly a, a pretty overfat dude, and a lot of that was just being scared of reaching that point again. And I think I, I gained the, the knowledge from seeing it happen uh, with other people and then a comfort in myself that, hey, look, you know, I, if I get a, a bit too fat, it's not that hard to take it right back off. So okay. just a realization that you're kind of in control of yourself, um, I think, is what it finally took for me to to do it okay well Uh, one of the things i want to keep asking about like rob how much like phil said it took him arguably um dozens or a dozen or more guys especially guys that he knew were at the high end of the of the game so how long did it take you uh before the math sunk in or you know you changed your game plan not long um, I remember you guys, for some of the older listeners, you might remember some of the old articles that appeared when um, a certain Victor Richards first appeared on the scene. He was kind of a um, up-and-coming bodybuilder, late 80s kind of a thing that actually never competed in any, on any really uh, pro stage, I don't believe. But there were, all the, were there were these articles that Jeff Everson, the uh, former husband of Miss Olympia, Corey Everson, he used to write about Victor claiming that he would eat 30,000 calories a day and all this type of thing. Um, and I remember that really um, spurred a whole bunch of, you know, co- uh, conversations I would have at the time with, uh, and this even predates my, you know, uh, friendship with you, Lonnie, um, with guys I knew about, you know, we, we actually believed that to be true and that type of thing. And even though kind of ultimately it, it, there's no way it was true, um, I think that was a big impetus as well for me and a bunch of the guys I knew to kind of really bump our calories because, you know, we'd sit down and do rough estimates of what we were eating every day. And and like I say, I mean, it was so, so moved, uh, you know, pointed towards really clean eating that, I mean, we, we'd only be eating 1,700, 2,000 calories a day kind of a thing. Oh, wow. yeah. And that would, that would be stuffing our faces, right? right. But it was just the, 
it was so clean, right? So broccoli, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was one of those things where you know, hey, you know, we're we're not using you know any sort of drugs or anything. But having said that, this guy's eating thirty thousand calories a day. And of course, like I say, that's ridiculous. But you know, I, it, certainly in our ignorance of the truth, it, it certainly allowed us. Um, you know, a, a greater mind towards bumping our calories. And, you know, so we, we'd uh, strive more towards, you know, something that was, you know, reasonable for, you know, young men doing what we were doing in the gym and, the, you know, the expenditures that we were putting forth. So um, right. that certainly, and, and to this day, though, I mean, I find it's, very, as we've talked about on the show, it's very difficult to eat three or 4,000 calories a day. Um, if you're not eating nothing but potato chips and Happy mm. Meals, kind of, um, Happy Meals, you know. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, but it's one of those things where it's kind of you know because because my normal kind of way of doing things is kind of maybe eating infrequently, but when I do eat, eating massive amounts of food at that one sitting, um, maybe that's more just intrinsic of human nature. I don't know. You'd be better at able to answer that, but that's kind of where I gravitate towards. So, for me to eat four or five times a day and try and you know get somewhere between you know whatever right six hundred and twelve hundred calories a shot, um, that seems to be more more um, suitable for kind of like. And I find like I don't get too overly fat eating like that, um, but again, it, it also depends on. Um, where I am in my training cycles and all that type of thing. So, sure. um, but you know, it's one of those things where we've also talked about, you know, like once you, it's the hardest part of the building part of it, the ma- maintenance part of it is certainly requires a lot less. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and as well, when you get stronger and bigger, of course there's, you know, you have to push for harder and harder to kind of, you know, get further and further. But in all my years of training, you know, I've gone from, you know, where I started at 15 from 130 pounds to, you know, 275, 280, where I'm sitting at right now. So, um, you know, I'm not the leanest guy in the world, but I'm not the fattest guy either. So um, I owe most of that to my consistency and dedication towards heavy lifting um, and the food element of it. Um, It's hard to say where I would have kind of fallen um, if I had earlier prescribed to more calories or like, I don't know. It's hard for me to say. Um, but certainly what I'm doing now seems to be working for what I am right now. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to share my own story, and then I'm going to ask a, a follow-up to <clears throat> all of us. But for me, I think the first year or two maybe of reading Muscle Magazines, you know, we're talking about like early, mid-teens, but I, you guys are going to laugh. I don't know if I've, how much I've gone on about this before, but – I would go do. I would train arms every day in the gym. Mm-hmm. I, uh, this a local guy, really nice guy, but he used to call me the walking biceps because you know I'm in there on the preacher curl, you know, doing Scott curls every time. You know, every time I went to the gym. Um, slowly, I don't know exactly what the impetus was, but I tried some half squats. <laughs> you know, and this is very funny because to me, I eventually really fell in love with the squat, but. Um, and I was doing more or less a four-on, one-off split. So uh, not even a split, just four days on, arms, 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 then a day off, and then repeat, you know. And uh, I think it probably took me a year or two. And what really changed it f- partly for me uh, was in those early days, although I, I had exposure to some gym owners and people that were competitors, um, I didn't have the exposure that you guys had probably early on. So... For me, it was education. By the time I was 18, 19 and starting to go to university, I stum- even before in high school, I actually stumbled across this idea that there are journals, there are science journals and textbooks, and there's no bullshit in them. <laughs> you know, there's no reader hook. There's no um, predisposed point that's trying to be sold. Um, and it was objective. And I would actually go spend time on the second floor of the Kent State Library, I remember, and reading these sports nutrition journals, you know, and exercise science journals and stuff. And I didn't understand all the statistics and equipment and everything involved at the time. But um, I'm like, oh, you know, I mean, everything from what anabolic steroids really did, you know, to calorie balance, like Rob is saying, or different exercise movements, and I was just blown away by that. I felt like I had stumbled into a secret 
mine of some kind, <laughs> you know, and I was just going to start harvesting, you know, mining this this knowledge. Um, so, and even with that, like you said, Rob, it's a behavioral thing. You don't just snap your fingers and you're mm-hmm. you're changing everything. It, human behavior is hard, and I think that's why we see what we do on the internet. You know, there are people who get stuck. We all know people who they they're still eating broccoli and yams and chicken breasts and nothing else year round, and they still weigh 140 pounds. Yeah, or that guy that's been doing the same workout for 10 years straight. Yes. <clears throat> yep. There's more of those guys than there are the other two, because we all know that gyms are full of guys that, um, you know, you see that, and it's, I, feel, I feel kind of, like I sound like I'm an elitist saying this, but I'm really not, but we see all those 30, 40, 50-year-old guys, you know, in gyms that you just know have been basically doing the same thing, like Phil says, for decades or even um and it, it's it you know on one hand you you applaud their consistency but on the other you kind of you know decry the fact that these people you know like you were saying much earlier in the show you know they, they just won't accept or you know believe that there might be some other way that they can go about things uh, but maybe maybe they're you know maybe the, the training is nothing but a comfort thing for them in their lives and they, you know, and, and a great deal of that is just the consistency of doing the same thing over and over again. So, yeah. who knows? Yeah, you there's know, something to be uh, said for consistency. I don't, I don't deny that. Uh, but I think one of the problems, though, is you'll get these, especially in the internet era, you'll get gurus, and they cannot change their conclusions based on new evidence because yeah. then their old books won't sell. Mm-hmm. They have to cling to that old idea. Uh, they might modify it a little, but. If their competitor is spouting something and they don't want him to have the business, you know what I mean? I see a lot of this with the gurus and the strength coaches and, you know, I think their ego won't let them come to new conclusions. So my question to follow up then is once you finally made the change, uh, Phil, mm-hmm. what what happened? Well, I, I mean, I, I uh, honestly, with my diet and everything, life got easier. It's hard to micromanage all the time. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I was able to go out and relax. I, I think my stress levels went down because um, when you're micromanaging your diet, I mean, even going out uh, or at this point, you know, I was in grad school and everything else. It was tough. You know, you had to spend hours and hours packing up crap and and things like that. But um, I think that bled into my training as well. I mean, everything got everything got a bit better. Um, and then, you know, my training kind of went along with it. I think my nutrition and training both kind of kind of changed at the same time. Um, it got simpler. My, my training got more simple and, you know, there was less so-called assistance type work, spending hours doing curls and, and lat raises and stuff like that. And more time on just brutish exercises like deadlifts and squats and things like that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I just relaxed and everything. And I think part of that, I think the, the life stress had a, had a great deal to do with greater progress as well. Mm-hmm. So. so Rob, you said you started to grow uh, things started to change. What kind of time frame did that take place in? Was it a slow so evolution? Within several weeks, mm-hmm. really. Really? And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and it first showed up in just as, in my tra- my ability to train heavier yeah. and harder um, and not feeling as destroyed. Um, you know, we've talked on the show about the whole back and forth as far as like, you know, that, you know, the, the quote unquote window of opportunity and all that. But, um, you know, that despite some science that might suggest otherwise, I'm a big believer in, you know, following up a heavy training session with lots of food. Um, you know, so no matter what science might, might say in contradiction to that, um, that has always been a big deal to me. And always has made a big marketable difference. I've noticed, I used to notice early in my training that if I didn't follow up a heavy, particularly brutal session with lots of calories, that um, my my instance of, you know, training soreness and how long that would last, Mm. my general, general fatigue levels from that would be much, much diminished. If I eat a lot of food, heavy, dense calories, um, in the immediate aftermath of the, of the training session. So I imagine um, you know, that was probably a huge reward. Like, so I'm seeing a theme here. You make observations, you know, or like Rob said, you did you did some simple math, really. But then, 
you're also getting rewarded because you're like, holy crap, within a matter of uh, several weeks to a few short months, you're just becoming a different person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the whole, you know, even when I was preparing for bodybuilding competitions, you know, I always give myself that, um, you know, it's very traditional for bodybuilders that, you know, that, that cheat meal once a week or any of that type of thing. And, you know, even relating it to a more kind of specific competitive bodybuilding slant, um, my first two competitions, I didn't do that. You know, I would just be eating clean pre-contest 10, 12, 13 weeks before the competition, whereas in my third competition, I actually loosened it up so I'd allow myself one cheat meal. And it's worth saying that even that cheat meal was nothing particularly cheat-wise. It was like a submarine, you know, a sandwich from Subway or something like that. So it wasn't, by most people's calculations, it was still a pretty healthy meal. But, um, Lonnie, you know what I'm talking about, you know, when, when you're eating pre-contest, even something like a piece of bread or something can be quite decadent. But, yeah. um, but even that type of thing, you know, really kind of opened my eyes to the need for sometimes, even, even if you're eating clean 90% of the time, you know, but opening things up for one or two meals a week or something like that, even when you're in such a specific kind of intense focus thing as pre-contest bodybuilding. Um, so, you know, if you, if you kind of extrapolate that and put it to a, an average person who's, you know, just simply wants to get bigger and stronger and is not, you know, um, again, indulging in any sort of drug use or anything like that, certainly with that, with that too, it would work as well. But, you really start seeing how, and then again, when you're looking at, you know, caloric needs and all this type of thing. And, but again, like sometimes it would be, um, I remember just to kind of go back because I'm just kind of being reminded of things as we're speaking, but I remember going back and actually, um, starting to look at the total poundage that I would lift in a session. Um, so you kind of know probably what I'm talking about here, you know, and, and sometimes it's, um, coming from a bodybuilding standpoint, you know, I don't only look, be looking at the set or something like that. And all of a sudden it was like, geez, you know, it might be fun to grab my calculator in here and figure out what I lifted, you know, mm-hmm. from, from beginning to end during that squat session, you know, and then you add up all your workout, you know, your warm up sets, all your work sets, all your, and I remember being, it being quite an epiphany for me is for that as well to be like, holy crap, I just lifted 25,000 pounds. Yeah. 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 That was nuts! And you're like, and then it, it kind of being a real light bulb moment in your head where you're like, oh my God, like, just to think of the amount of calories that you're igniting, you know, yeah. to get through that and to, to be able to do that. And then like Lonnie says, when I would couple that knowledge with what he kind of, you know, educated me with about the whole idea that, I never used to think in terms of calories being like, you know, the different, you know, you have to have the calories just, 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 just to exist every day and just to, you know, get up, tie your shoes and brush your teeth, you know, and, and, you know, and then you have to factor in the calories that you need to actually perform what you're doing in the gym. And then you need all the calories after that to, you know, to everything on top of that to actually kind of build yourself to a, a higher level and all the recuperation. And those things, like I said, and coupling that with actually having the calculator at once in a while and taking you know, heat of those kinds of, you know, total <clears throat> numbers, um, yeah. you know, that could be pretty, that, that was pretty impactful on me. Well, once again, my friend, we find that science is nice. You know, like, holy cow, I, I really need to up my game here as far as in front of the, in front of the dinner table. I need to, you know, yeah. I mean, that, that calorie, of, you know, that, that can of tuna and, you know, um, you know, like you say, a few pieces of broccoli. This, this is just not going to cut it. You know, it's a, and and I, to be quite honest with you, I would I would marvel at just the fact that I was getting any gains at all when I factored that that kind of nonsense into it. You know, what I mean, it was amazing that I got anything from it. So, you know, let me um, offer this. Uh, this is interesting that you brought that up because just yesterday in uh, strength conditioning class, we were talking about different ways to monitor and evaluate training load. And I don't think it's intuitive that people immediately do something like what you guys were sort of agreeing about a minute ago, which is add up the total poundage. Mm-hmm. You know, people do sets and reps. That's very intuitive. But total poundage moved, total volume, it does help you make those leaps. You know, yeah. that, oh, my God, that's a ridiculous am- amount of work that I just did. And that must be fueled by a certain amount of energy in the diet, you know, and and that kind of thing. But for me, I know that the diet changes, I think, might have been 
slower than either you guys. I know, Phil, it wasn't easy for you to let go either, but Mm -hmm. I think it was very hard for me to let go of the traditional eating clean kind of approach. And the big difference for me was I reduced training volume because I stopped, you know, I was in track. uh, I was in competitive taekwondo for years and I was trying to lift on top of it. You know what I mean? And then I I was the kind of guy we'd we'd go out on the evenings, a couple nights a week in in college. And um, it was just a ridiculous amount of energy expenditure. So I corrected my energy imbalance with less movement, you know, by doing less. And it's funny that a lot of people don't think about that either, that you can correct this whole thing. Now, I don't want to get too nutritional here, um, but, you know, the difference literally is not unlike what you guys are saying. I went from 155 pounds. I graduated high school. And by the time I was done uh, with my undergrad and like mid-grad school, I, I was 230. <laughs> so that's a big, big difference um, by correcting energy balance and not lifting six, seven days a week, you know, on chicken breasts and broccoli and tuna mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. So, um, at, you know. Another thing that I wanted to add, because you were asking about the, the, the training angle, and you're kind of reminding me right now of something that was very um, impactful to me in that regard, was kind of moving away from, you know, what I had been, I would say, <laughs> taught or brainwashed, either way you want to look at it. This is why I bring up, on, up the whole thing with people about, you know, like the kind of the traditional Western kind of muscle magazine propaganda as far as, you know, seeing these routines and the guys training, you know, five, six, seven days a week and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, certainly all the classic stuff like the pumping irons and stuff where, you know, Arnold would be in the gym six or seven days a week for three or four hours at a time kind of thing. Seven. Come on. Now. One. Yeah, yeah. Two. Two. And then actually looking at a, at, you know, a major muscle magazine and realizing, because I would ghostwrite half the, half the stuff these guys are writing, that right. even the guys that were on all the stuff would be following most of those programs. Um, and kind of, so from a training angle, certainly I, I kind of like, see, my, my difference between how I train when I was 19 and how I train now is, um, I train just as hard as I trained then, but I train, um, my frequency of being in the gym is considerably less. Um, I would go, I mean, you were saying earlier, Lonnie, about, you know, you go and do the preacher curl every time you go in the gym. Yeah. And I remember, I remember now I'm going very, very, very early in my training years, but I remember basically doing bench, you know, like bench and all the big movements like four or five times a week. Absolutely. So when, when you talk about things like that, I completely can relate to the, the sheer madness of that kind of thing is, mm-hmm. you know, like it was nothing for me to be able to not be able to walk at all and still go into the gym and start squatting. It was, right. it was sheer, it was sheer lunacy, yeah. you know? And when I think back about it, I think to myself, you know, it, it took me half an hour just to warm up because my legs were so sore. <laughs> to be able to, you know, yeah. just to be able to slightly articulate from the knee. It was, you know, and then you start, I, I, again, but these are all things that, and I, I suppose in the internet age, if I came of age in the internet age, it would have been a, a quicker kind of turnaround, I would like to think, or maybe I, I would still just, just be as stupid, but, um, you know, it's a learning process. And, and like we've talked about before, there's a certain amount of benefit that can be had from that psychologically, mm-hmm. you know, as far as learning, you know, commitment to something and, pushing through pain and all that kind of thing. But um, ultimately, yeah, I, I just came to realize that, you know, when you start reading a little bit more, and Phil certainly knows all about this, you know, you read about the the um, historical strongmen, you know, powerlifters, strongmen, all these types of guys, you know, exhibition lifters, Paul Anderson and all these types of, um, you know, characters. And, you know, even a guy like Paul Anderson, like, I mean, you know, again, so much of the information about a guy like that is up in the air, but... By all accounts, the guy didn't train very often, you know, but when he did train, it was, it might have been a marathon epic thing, but it was, you know, like, I mean, I've heard things like he only trains sometimes once or twice a week kind of thing. Um, And a lot of those old straw men were like that. You know, they would do these horrifically brutal sessions, but they came very infrequently, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe two, three times a week, maybe, Um, you know, and, and they got a lot from that. So... 
I think it's it's like most things in life when you become more and more refined in your approach to it or more of a master towards that endeavor where you become it becomes more quality versus quantity kind of a thing and you start seeing the benefit of that um, but on the opposite side of the spectrum for as I'm saying for diet and we're all saying sometimes it has to be a little bit of both quality and quantity um, so when a lot of bodybuilders that I know talk about what you know when they ask me what did you eat you know and I kind of know what they eat I usually give the kind of the broad answer pretty much what you eat plus a lot more you know so and that's why my whole philosophy for eating for me is I try and eat as clean as I can but then on top of that throw one or two thousand calories of just you know whatever that might be right yeah. driving to the drive through at A&W burgers or you know buying a pizza once a you know once a week or something like that or you know what whatever that might come from right so, well, so it's not so I I like the whole idea of eating as clean as possible, but then, you know, when push comes to shove and you need that extra 1,000 or 1,500 calories, um, you know, I, again, excluding, you know, some other bag of chips or something, but, you know, get it however you can get it. And if, if that is eating a bunch of manwiches and <laughs> stuff like that, right, like, just go for it, you know, get those, get those total calories in there. And like I say, make your training more qualitative versus quantitative um, and make sure that you're aware of what you're lifting. I remember when I, a few years ago, I just wanted to see if I could do three, squat 315 for 10 sets of 10. And I did it. And then when I looked, you know, when you, when you, when you, I remember going home and like, you know, all my warm ups and stuff and adding it up. I'm like, holy crap. Like, like when you think about how much weight you're lifting there, you're lifting like what, 35, 40,000 pounds or like whatever it is, right? But, and you start thinking to yourself, Again, kind of, I'm kind of belaboring this point, but the whole idea of like, you know, what, what you're actually igniting when you're doing something like that and what your body is going to ask because it's, it's that, that whole concept of whatever you take, you have to give back. You know? Okay. Now let me ask you this then. Um, back to the sort of evidence concept. Uh, Phil, why do you think people are slow to change or you know is it because they get presented with an authority figure online you know or somebody else gets to them first with misinformation and they don't want to let it go you know what i mean yeah you see people that get trapped in uh you know they study from one person they get trapped in their point of views and that's why i have I, i try and tell people to even people that come to me and learn um after a certain amount of time, I said, you need to go learn from somebody else because I think, I think that's what helped me the most is, is not being a slave to one master. Um, you go learn from as many people as you can and then start, but then you're able to start coming up with your own conclusions instead of just being a mere copy of somebody else. Um, and I, we're creatures of habit, you know, knowing that I'm going to go in and do the same thing again is good. Um, I think what happens though is a natural to some people, you know, some people get caught up in that and then there's this natural evolution for for, for many of us, where we go in training like Rob talked about, and you know, training starts getting heavier and, and more quality over quantity, and it's, it's one of those it's the old uh, what is it, uh, what's the definition of insanity? You know, doing the same thing again and again, expecting different results. I mean, at some point, those of us that are actual thinkers and want to progress, we realize that, hey, I, I gotta change something, because I'm, I'm not gonna get different results out of doing the same thing I've been doing for five years. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, you start trying different things, and I think I think one of the things that helped me was becoming a coach because uh, I'm just a firm believer in that in what works for me isn't going to work for everybody. So I need to have this big book of things that I need to be able to to be able to pull out um, because what what works for Jill may not work for Bob and this and that and their very goals. So and I'm also a firm believer in that I don't like having people do anything that I haven't tried. Um, that's like right now I'm a huge believer in the training Rob was just talking about. Very intense at sessions and long sessions but very infrequent so two to three days a week but right now i'm in a, in a cycle where i'm i'm literally squatting benching deadlifting um and some kind of row five days a week but each um, session is brief <clears throat> sessions are briefer the yeah. loads are lower the intensity is lower yeah but i gotta try it out you know because i want to you know if, if there's something some gold in there i, I need to I, I want to know it before I have my people do it type of thing. <laughs> so You know, um, one of the things both you guys I, I'm hearing is <clears throat> y- 
evidence, there has to be a certain quality. You know, you guys, uh, you're not going to read an article. And even if somebody gets to you first, I think it's human nature that whoever indoctrinates you first, you tend to believe that's real. Yes. You know, and it's very hard to unlearn what mm-hmm. you've learned first. Yeah. But there, there's a... Um, there's a requirement for quality when it comes to the information too. You know, you'll make an observation like you even as a coach Phil, you're like, "Oh, what works for one person doesn't work for another." Or you're you're confronted firsthand with these observations mm-hmm. where you have to kind of weigh the evidence and decide, you know, which to apply. You yeah. know, whether it's frequency or volume or the particular goal that you're after or whatever it is. And then there's a reward system of what does this work? You go try it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, for me, you know, there's a certain amount of is is the evidence objective in some way? You know, was somebody trying to sell something from the beginning, mm-hmm. yeah. um, whether it's one of their ideas or a product or whatever? Because uh, I don't care what your credentials are. If you're holding up a bottle and smiling, I'm wary of you, <laughs> you know, or a book that you're just trying to push your new ebook. Everybody's got that these days. And but um yeah, I don't like the authority. People believe evidence because of their authority, right? Authority yeah. is <clears throat> one form of information. Observation is another, you know, um, sort of an, an experiment, which is what yeah. you guys are doing. You observe and experiment on yourselves. And But I think, yeah, the, the further you get along, hopefully, and not everybody does, I agree with you guys, get away from blind acceptance of an authority figure and they may have been presented to you as an authority figure in bodybuilding or powerlifting um, for the wrong reasons, for very commercial reasons, mm-hmm. you know, and then people just start following this guru or this or that. And then you can't even educate them properly yeah. because they got to them first, you know. Uh, that's uh, No, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. I was going to talk about like this high frequency thing. I mean, as an example, you know, of late it's become very popular. And so I'm not one person. I'm not the type of person to change what I'm doing off one study. Or even test things off one study. Yes. But then I see ten, and then I look into it more. It's like, oh, look, look. There's there's ten thousand Olympic lifters across the world that are doing this very successfully. There's a bunch of guys that are in a hundred kilo, hundred and five kilo class. They're squatting six hundred plus. There's got to be something to this, you know. Okay, I'll try it out. You know, um, and both work. I mean, that's not to say there's plenty of guys out there squatting freaking eight, nine hundred pounds that that squat once a week, maybe. You know, but it's it's trying out different things, and it it did it took a lot more than one person saying, "Hey, this like like Chad." We had Chad Barbary on talking about high frequency training, and his was a totally for a totally different reason. But then I see more and more and more, and oh, the Bulgarian team's doing this, the Chinese team's doing. Okay, I'll give it a shot. You know, I'm I'm away from a training cycle for anything. I've got it potentially a year before I compete in anything, so it's like, hey, what, what's six months? You know? Yeah, I'm not going to get weaker. And Phil, that's amazingly like academic science, where one new study isn't going to change my practice. You know, there's got to be a consensus, several lines of evidence, maybe some animal studies, some population-based epidemiology studies, some more cause and effect, you know, clinical interventions. But eventually, like just like with you, with the other kinds of observations. Yeah, you require more than one source of input before you really yeah. start to roll. You got to have some kind of consensus. Yeah, you know. <clears throat> so. Exactly. Okay, well, I just want to explore. We're just about out of time with that, and uh, we are paying two point three cents a minute just to have Rob on. <laughs> <laughs> so, <sighs> any final thoughts, Fortress? Is he still there? Is he still there? No, he's not. <laughs> All right, well then, I, I guess, guess he not. has no final thoughts. I, I'll leave you with something. I mean, if, especially if you've been doing the same thing for a long time, go try something new. And I'm not telling you to turn your world upside down. Pick one thing and try it, you know, for three months, you know, and see what happens. And that, that's how you learn. I mean, that's how you make your book bigger. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that they're, they're, their knowledge is a, a little comic book. And... You know, try and grow that thing into you know a big encyclopedia or something. It's the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to fail and you're going to learn something from it. You know, so you'll come out smarter on the other end. Sounds good. So a, a so. bigger game, not just a changed game. It becomes a bigger game. Yep. So. Sounds good. All right, brother. Well, uh, that's. <sighs> I'm going to go train week. now. Yeah, I am so. too. I'm just I'm drinking my Valhalla um, blend <laughs> from Mike Nelson. Sent me there some. There you go. Sweet extra caffeinated Java, and it's time to Sweet. go do it. 
All right. Talk to you next week. See you. Hey, sports nutrition fans, join us in beautiful Clearwater Beach, Florida, June 20 and 21 for the 11th Annual ISSN Conference and Expo. You'll learn the latest, greatest sports nutrition from the best minds in the business. Some of our speakers include Juan Carlos Santana, Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky, Gina Lombardi, and many, many more. You'll learn about intermittent fasting, how to exercise to offset poor eating, and also nutritional strategies for maintaining or gaining muscle mass. But the best part is you'll get to rub elbows with the best scientists in the business. The ISSN, why would you go anywhere else? Go to www.theissn.org for more information. That's www.theissn.org for more info. See you there. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.